Thanks, Randy. Let's pray. Father, I do, just thinking of that song we just heard, I, I pray you open our hearts through your grace to run into Jesus' arms. And God, empower us by your spirit to do that. Empower us. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning. And may we always find our rest in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andrew. It's good to see you guys. Uh, I won't make you say good morning and guilt you about it like Kevin, but uh, (laughs) I get it. Um, But uh, it's great to be here with you. And uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that uh, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews. And uh, this book, this letter, we often refer to it as a letter. The the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon, we think. Um, A sermon transcript basically given to a Christian congregation thousands of years ago. And uh, this group of people we see throughout the letter were increasingly discouraged and disillusioned with their lives and with their faith in particular. And uh, the author is trying to get them back on track. And, and so we find ourselves in chapter 4 asking the question, so, so what did they need? What did they need? And the answer is pretty obvious just from reading the passage we just read, right? They need rest. Rest. The word appears... Ten times in, the passage, in this passage alone. And if they need rest, then we need rest. Rest, or the lack of it, can have a profound impact on who we are and how we live. And we probably all felt that at one time or another in our own lives. Uh, I remember soon after our son Benjamin was born, uh, that uh, the, Becca and I found ourselves just exhausted by having two kids. And uh, after just a few days of no sleep at night and constant running around during the day, uh, I found myself thinking what I, what I think, what I hope every parent <laughs> find, finds themselves thinking at some point in those first few months, which is, I've made a huge mistake, right? <laughs> but after a while, I promise, uh, that feeling stopped. It went away. And once I got some, once I got some rest. Because without rest, uh, holding a screaming child is one of the most hopeless experiences in life. But with rest, holding that same child is an absolute joy because you know that you will be the one to comfort them and you will be the one to tell them that it's okay, that it's all right. And the difference between those two responses is rest. Of course, we don't just need physical rest like that. We need a deep spiritual rest. We need the kind of rest that our society and culture has no ability to find, the kind that only God can give because without sleep, we know our bodies will die. Scientific fact. But without deep spiritual rest, without the kind of rest the author is describing here in the book of Hebrews, our faith will die, and our souls will die with it. So let's look at uh, what this book teaches us about rest. If you're you're taking notes, here's where we're going this morning. Uh, Three things we're going to learn about rest. The first, why we need rest, why we avoid rest, and how we get it, how we get rest. Why we need it, how we avoid it, how we get it. And if you haven't turned to Hebrews yet, you can do that now. Hebrews chapter 4. Um, if you don't know where it is, turn to the end of your Bible, the book of Revelation, then flip a few books back to the left, and you'll, you'll find it there. Chapter 4. So we're beginning with this. Why do we need rest? Now, some of you are already checking out because you think this is a wasted point in a sermon, right? Of course we need rest. Some of you are thinking, if you would just be quiet, I could rest right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> But again, this text is talking about rest in a way that we often don't. We think rest is, is, uh, we we think we need rest because we need a day off, we are too busy, we need a good vacation, 
We need more balance in our lives. We've, we've probably all said that before. But the author doesn't list any of those reasons why we need rest. Instead, the author keeps referencing Psalm 95 in this text over and over again. Psalm 95. It's as if the author is saying, you need rest because of Psalm 95. And he quotes it in verses 3, 5, and 7, right? As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's quoting Psalm 95. Now, why in the world is he doing that? Well, Psalm 95 was written using the wilderness generation of the Old Testament as an example. And uh, the wilderness generation, uh, if you're not familiar with that, was the generation of Israelites who lived in Egypt, were slaves in Egypt when God sent the ten plagues and freed them from Pharaoh. They were, they were slaves to Pharaoh. They were forced to work in terrible circumstances. They constant nonstop work. Pharaoh worked them to the bone until the day God sent Moses and said, enough, stop. And he freed his people from Egypt. And of course, one of the first things God did with those ex-slaves in the Old Testament was give them the Ten Commandments, and one of which goes something like this, and you, would, you will find it in Exodus chapter 20. He says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Pharaoh worked these slaves from sunup to sundown for seven days a week, but God commands a day of rest. No one shall work for seven days a week. Now, why not? Well, because only slaves work seven days a week. That's the lesson. Only slaves work seven days a week. Only slaves are so busy that they do not know any rest. That is why slavery is so particularly cruel because it ignores our basic design as human beings. It robs us of our need for rest and it robs us of the fruit, enjoying the fruits of our labor. Slavery takes away both of those things. It was never God's design for humanity. So the first thing we learn here about why we need rest is this, is that rest, true rest, frees you from slavery. It frees you from slavery. Now, my guess is that if we went around this room and, and, and asked each of us, what, what, are, what are your top three problems in life right now? If each one of us answered that question, my guess is that about 90% of us would list, I'm too busy, as one of those problems. I'm too busy. We're too busy to rest, too busy to reflect, too busy to slow down, too busy to take a whole day without work. That list could go on, we're too busy. But the author of Hebrews is hinting to us that that isn't true. It's not that we're too busy. We aren't too busy. It's that we're slaves. We're slaves to success. We are, so we overwork. We work all the time. We're slaves to stuff. So we work to maintain a lifestyle. We're slaves to worry and anxiety. So we can't stop moving. We can't stop planning because we're afraid we're going to fall behind. We're slaves to achievement, to getting perfect grades. We're to getting into that right school. So we overschedule ourselves. We're afraid our children aren't measuring up to their peers, so we put them into every conceivable extracurricular activity that we can. And that list goes on and on and on and on. And not all of this is just coming, it's not just an internal problem that we have. Our society desires our slavery. They encourage it. We make heroes of workaholics. We read their books and their biographies while we watch their marriages and families fall apart from a lack of rest. We have little pieces of technology around us that remind us constantly, hey, you should be working. Hey, you should be emailing. Hey, you should be Facebooking. Hey, you should be tweeting. You should be letting everyone know how much fun you're having by posting online. 
It's true. Even when we run, here's the real proof that we are slaves. Because even when we want to rest, we can't. We can't stop. And it's maddening, right? It drives you crazy. It's slavery. And, and we, we try to rest in promotions or success, the success of our children or in grades or in our sports that we're doing. We're too busy because we have convinced ourselves that our overwork is necessary. But those things that we do are not gods with an invitation to rest. They are pharaohs who will work us to death. We are worn out because without rest, you're a slave. Of course, with rest, we are free. We're free. When God's people rest, it is a revolutionary act because it's declaring to a society enslaved by success and achievement that liberation is possible. That God is not, a, is not another slave master. He is a slave freer. But spiritual slavery isn't the only problem that we face. We, this isn't the only reason we need rest. And the author hints at this in verse 4, where he says, For he has somewhere spoken, that is God, of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And this is another Old Testament quotation, this time from Genesis chapter 2. It's the first book of the Bible. And that chapter in Genesis describes another kind of rest. And there, after God created the world in six days, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, after he creates the world in six days, on the seventh day, he rests. Now, obviously, this isn't a physical rest. God doesn't have the, the physical and mental and emotional limitations that we do, but he, he isn't resting because he's tired. In the context of, of the story of Genesis, God rests. God's rest is a deep satisfaction in what he's just made. It's a deep satisfaction and enjoying it. The last thing God says before he rests, when he looks upon all the work he has made in the universe, after he's just created uh, humanity, the last thing he creates, the last thing he says is, it is very good. It's very good. God is able to stop what he's doing and enjoy in satisfaction the work that he's done. And the author of Hebrews wants us to understand that and to enter that kind of rest. This is a spiritual rest that the author is talking about. And no amount of vacation or days off or financial stability will cure you of your restlessness until you can grasp that deep rest. Because only that kind of rest frees you from the deep insecurity that drives our overwork. And this is the second reason that we need rest. We don't just need rest to free us from slavery. We need rest to free us from our deep insecurities. We live in a culture that has made some really dramatic shifts in the last hundred years. And uh, there are lots of reasons for that. Uh, technology, global economy, global competition, to name a few. But the, the shift is this. We have begun to root our very identity, our value, and our worth in our work, and in our title, and in our salary, and in our achievements. There was a time when the most important thing your job did, culturally, was to provide for your family. That was the most important thing. But we, not, now the most important thing our jobs provide is a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. It gives us meaning. It gives us identity. We want the raise. We want the promotion, not simply for more money, but for the status, for the recognition. And because of that, we are deeply insecure about ourselves. Our identity is directly tied to how many hours we put in at the office, how quickly our kids are learning to crawl and walk and read, how many extracurriculars we do as a family, 
what grades we earn, what scores we get, what schools accept us. This list goes on and on and on and on. And is it any wonder that we, are, that we worry and work nonstop? This isn't just a good American work ethic. We are working to justify ourselves. We are working to prove that our very existence is worthwhile every day. And we run ourselves into the ground hoping to someday still that voice that's in each one of our heads that says it's not enough. You're not doing enough. You're going to fail. You're going to fall behind. Don't stop. And you can look around today at our society and you see the effects of that. We are increasingly isolated because no one has time for friendship. There's no time. We're increasingly addicted to alcohol and TV and the internet because when you can't rest, you escape. And there's a huge difference between those two things. And we're increasingly depressed because we take no pleasure in our achievements. Each success rings hollow. The joy it brings leaves just as quickly as it came. And we're on to the next project. And we suffer incredible crises of identity when we retire, which is the great American promise of rest. Because when we aren't working, we have no identity left. That was it. And we have no clue who we are anymore, which means that we are not just slaves when we overwork, we are orphans. We have no idea who we are. We have no one to tell us what's important. We have no one to tell us how to live. We're orphans. Which means that when God's people rest, the kind of rest we see in Genesis 2, the kind of rest that the author of Hebrews is telling us, we aren't simply freed slaves. We are accepted and beloved children. We acknowledge that no amount of work, no amount of achievement, no amount of excess could change God's opinion of who we are. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us that true rest means security in who you are. He hearkens back to Genesis to remind us that in Christ, the work is done. The work is done. God offers us the rest we really need, rest in our identity and acceptance from God. And when you accept Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf, his identity, Son of God, becomes your identity. And God says over you in that very moment and for the rest of your life, it is finished. It is very good. He rests in his delight over you. That's the gospel. And you are invited into that rest with him. You're free from insecurity because you are no longer defined by your work. You're not defined by your work. You're defined by his work. You have nothing left to prove so you can rest. And we need rest like this. I hope as you're listening to this description, as you're listening to the author of Hebrews, you're thinking, yes, I want that. Yes, I need that. But the truth is, we don't. We don't want it. As good as it sounds, we don't want it. In fact, we avoid it. Because as good as this rest sounds to us, freedom from slavery, freedom from insecurity, we are always in danger. We are always at risk of missing out on it. That's why the author warns us over and over again of the peril of restlessness. And he says in verse 11, strive to enter that rest so that you do not fall into disobedience. So clearly this rest, though attractive to us, is something we can and do avoid. And this is our second point. Why do we avoid rest? Why do we avoid it? We know why we need it. Why do we avoid it? And again, the author shows us by the example of the wilderness generation. So immediately after they were freed from slavery in Egypt, God led them into the desert. And we see this in the book of Exodus. 
And deserts, if you, if you know anything about deserts, are not particularly fun places to be. Uh, the terrain is rough, the sun is hot, there's no food, there's no water. And yet this is where God takes his people right after he frees them from slavery. And just when they are at their tiredest and hungriest and thirstiest and crakiest, God says something like this to them. He says, we are going up to, to Canaan, the promised land. We're going up to Canaan. And you are going to go in and you're going to fight the evil inhabitants that live there. And you're going to take the land. And when you're done, this will be a place of rest for you and your families forever. And I will be with you. And the people basically respond this way. They say, God, you want us to go fight an army bigger than we are, stronger than we are, better equipped than we are, better fed than we are, better positioned than we are. And that sounds restful to you? That's the word that comes to your mind? And their conclusion was this. Well, God, thanks for everything, but no thanks. We're done. We can't do this. And of course, by we can't do this, what they meant was, God, you can't do this. Because the Bible is never interested in what you think you can do. It's always interested in what you think God can do. And this generation said, God, you cannot do this. And so that generation never entered God's rest. And this is why the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This generation never entered God's rest. And we avoid rest the same way this wicked generation did. And that's why the, the author mentions them in, this, in the first place. We avoid rest essentially because we do not believe a word God says about us. It's not that we don't hear it, it's that we don't believe it. We don't believe a word he says about us. And just like that wilderness generation when God says, I can do it, we say, no, you can't. And uh, more specifically, when God says in Christ over our lives, it is finished, it is good, I'm deeply satisfied in you. We say, no, you're not. You're not. And really, there are, there are two ways we do that. There are two ways we tend to reject and avoid God's rest. And the first is when we think too highly of ourselves. And uh, we reject God's rest because it, it requires that we acknowledge that there is something deeply wrong with us. Throughout all of Scripture, you can never enter God's rest until you acknowledge there is something deeply wrong with you. There's something so wrong with you that God had to become a human being and die to save you from it. And our main problem with life, it, we have to grasp that our main problem with life is not our upbringing, it's not society, it's not our government, it's us. It's you and it's me. And it, that's admittedly difficult to stomach, but until we do, we will not enter God's rest. And it, it might be easy to accept that God loves and accepts us, but what's hard, I think, for our culture today is to accept that we weren't very lovable in the first place, that that was hard. <laughs> and the second way to refuse or avoid God's rest happens when we think too little of ourselves. We cannot imagine that God would love and accept us because of what we just did or the sin we just can't shake or the addiction that we're hiding from people, the lie that we're caught in, whatever it is, we believe, the, that, uh, we believe Scripture, right, when God says that he's forgiven us, but now it's our job to stay forgiven. And that cycle of work starts all over again. And there are many things God could say over our lives that we would accept. If you struggle with this, there are many things God could say over your life that you would say, okay, that's true. God might say over you, it's, you know, your life is a work in progress. <laughs> your life's getting better. 
keep up the good work. You might accept that. You might accept him saying, you know, your life isn't perfect, but it's better than so-and-so's over here, and that's great. (laughs) We might accept those things. What we struggle to accept is that God would say over our lives right now, through Christ, it is very good. It is finished. I am deeply satisfied with you. We just don't buy it. It doesn't matter how many times we say it to ourselves. It just doesn't stick. And either way, either way, we reject God's rest. Whether you think you're fine and you don't need God's help, or you think you're broken and you don't think you deserve God's help, that he would never do that, the result is the same. We enter a cycle of self-justification, earning our right to exist, earning love and acceptance through our achievements. And this is what Pastor Tim Keller of New York calls the work beneath the work. Because just behind our workaholism, just behind our worry, just behind our exhaustion, is a work to justify our existence. And everything we do is driven by that. And this is why we avoid God's rest, because we don't trust what he says about us, and we don't trust what he promises to do for us, just like the wilderness generation. And what this means is that a lack of rest, a lack of rest in our lives, in every case, is really a lack of faith. It's just a lack of faith. And the author of Hebrews makes this point in verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, that is, the wilderness generation. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith, by faith, with those who listened. It's a faith problem. They lacked faith, and so do we. And just like them, if we continue to avoid God's rest over and over and over again, we will die in the wilderness. We will die in the wilderness of our slavery to work and insecurity. We will die in the wilderness of our deep fears that we must earn our identity, that we have to prove ourselves. And, and that attitude, that struggle, is far more dangerous than any desert in the world. It will literally kill us. We avoid God's rest because we lack the deep trust it takes to enter it. We don't trust that God loves us, that he can heal us, that we can stop working and be okay. We just don't trust that our entire world won't collapse if we take a day off or if we get a B in math or if we get that promotion, if we don't get that promotion we've wanted for so long. We don't have the faith to rest. So how do we get it? How do we get it? We know how we avoid it. How do we get rest? when our response is so, we are so quick to avoid it. I think this text points to two responses. There are two ways we can begin to enter that rest. And the first is this. We must remember that rest takes practice. Rest takes practice. Rest is a gift, but it's one that does not come naturally to any of us. If that weren't true, when the author says in verse 11, it makes no sense. In verse 11, he says, strive to enter rest. Striving is involved. Rest takes effort to experience. We cannot earn God's love and approval. That is true. But if we want it to be more than just words in our life, if we want to experience that life of rest now, we have to practice it. There's a reason, as we stated before, that one of God's Ten Commandments is to practice the Sabbath rest. And notice The command to practice rest in the Bible is less about what you need to start doing and more about what you need to stop doing. So let's get practical. Take a day with your family by yourself and stop 
working. What you do on that day may look different for each person because we all recharge and connect with God and each other in different ways. Some of you, it's artistically, some it's relationally, some it's uh, in seclusion by yourself. But for most of us, what we, what we can't do is stop working. And by working, I don't even necessarily mean your paid work. We can't stop doing the things in our lives that have come to define who we are. Whatever that is for you. And so we open the email, we check the numbers, we call the boss, even on our day off. So take a day and stop working. Take a day and stop studying. Take a day and stop playing sports. What do you need to stop doing to make this possible? Can you think about that this week as an individual, as a family? Can we look at our schedules, our calendar, and begin to practice God's rest? And I think if we do that, we just did that, a few things would become much clearer to us over time. And the first is we would grow in humility. We'd grow in humility. We'll see that we are not indispensable because we stopped and the world kept turning. We'll begin to learn that despite our fear to the contrary, we really aren't that important. We're not. We are deeply, deeply loved by God. We are not deeply needed by God. So it's okay to stop. It's okay to stop worrying. It's okay to stop working. Second, we will grow in wisdom and perspective. Because God's promise of Sabbath rest does not so much solve our problems. Did you notice that? They're always there when you come back from rest. Monday's always, I mean, your problems are always there when you come back. What Sabbath rest does is it puts those problems, those struggles, in context. We'll begin to see that the things we worry about the things we rely on, the things we think if this, if this leaves, I'm, I'm done, really aren't that important. And when the world doesn't implode because we've stopped working and thinking about our problems, we will eventually become the kind of people who worry less and trust more. And then the Sabbath rest in your life won't simply be a day off of work. It won't be a day in your week. It will be a character infused into your entire life. Rest takes practice. It takes practice. But more importantly, rest, in the true biblical sense, rest is a person. Rest is a person. And in verse 8, the author mentions Joshua, this great military leader of the Old Testament. He led Israel into the promised land, eventually, in, in the Old Testament. But the author doesn't lift him up as a hero. He says instead, Joshua, for all he did, did not lead the people into, into real rest. If you look at verse 8, he says, For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, what, so what in the world is he talking about? Well, the author knows that Joshua is the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. And the author is saying there is another rest coming because another Joshua has come. Joshua led the people to a land of rest. The author is saying there's a person of rest. Rest is fundamentally about responding to a person. And Jesus, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, makes this promise to anyone who would follow after him. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus does not say, Go do this. He does not say, Go add this to your life. He doesn't say, Go to it, and you will find rest. He says, Come to me. I am rest. Rest is, a, is first about following Jesus 
allowing him to define your life. Allowing his opinion of you to define you. Because either his work on the cross or your work throughout your life will come to define who you are. It's one of, it's one or the other. And if we take the author of Hebrews seriously, only one of those options offers rest. Only one of those works is finished. And only one of those works can empower a life of grace and peace. We must remember that rest is a person, it's a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way you will ever lay your work down is if you let him define you and not yourself. Because we have to remember Jesus' last words from the cross in the book of John were, it is finished. It's his last words, it is finished. And he wasn't just talking about his work. He was talking about our work. It's finished. And if we let those words soak deeply into our lives, it is finished. There is, there is a rest available that I think most of us can't even imagine in this room. And it's available now. I want us, because of that, I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about these words together. It is finished. And uh, Randy's going to come up and play a song while we take time to respond to this pronouncement from Jesus. And here's what I want us to do. I want us, whether you're writing these down or or just in your mind, think about the things in life that terrify you the most. They absolutely terrify you. What are those things? What worries you? What are you trying to control? What, what in your life do you think, if I can just do this, if I can just fix this, if I can just get this, then everything else will be okay? What keeps you up at night? What are you trying to control? I want us to catalog those things in our mind. And I want to speak over them with Jesus. It is finished. I want to do that now together. I want to enter that rest just for a few minutes together. It is finished.
Father, give us strength every day as long as it is called today to enter your rest. Amen.